I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Hello, I'd like to welcome you back to the Sufi Heart podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Omid Safi. It is a real great pleasure to have you back for our fourth program. And this time around, we're going to be taking a look at how it is that these lovely mystics of the radical love tradition understand the path of love as be something that brings us together into fellowship with our fellow human beings in commune with nature and ultimately united with the divine. Uh, in some of our first programs, which you can go back and listen to, we've been talking about the sacredness of the notion of love. And we introduced this theme of ishq, this radical love, which is when love goes to the heart of the matter, when love exceeds all of the ordinary bounds and limitations that have been set for it. We talked about how there is an ordinary kind of love, there is a kind of gentle love called hub or mohabbat, which is loving kindness, which is love 
when it bubbles up in your heart and it leads forth as a kind of glance or a touch or a gesture. But then sometimes that's not enough. And sometimes love rages on like a fire and it becomes radical and it becomes extreme love, supreme love. And this love that they call eshq burns away, burns away the ego, burns away the selfish qualities, and it's no longer about me. It's no longer about this displaced ego that we have placed at the center of our existence. That love compels you to be concerned about your fellow human being, to project yourself beyond yourself, to rise above yourself, and to become something greater. We introduced the extraordinary mystical figure of Ahmad Ghazali, whom we could really consider in many ways to be um, one of the founders of this path of radical love, and a wonderful book of his called The Savaneh, Savaneh, which was written in the early 1100s. And it is this book which really paves the way for future giants like Rumi and Hafez and uh, other luminous beings through the centuries. But today we want to do something a little bit simpler which is, we want to go back to how it is that these mystics read and understand scripture. Sometimes, for very good reasons, we imagine that over here we have the world of religiously inclined folks, and over there we have the world of the mystics and the saints and the luminous beings. And living as we do in an age where so many of the institutions and the rituals of religious traditions have become ridden with dogma, when we see abuse, financial abuse, abuse of authority, sexual scandals left and right, um, it's understandable that for something as pure and as beautiful as seeking in the realm of the spirit, we would want to protect it. <laughs> we would want it to have it set at a distance from the abuses of these institutions. But the mystics that we are spending our time with, that we are sitting with, that we hope to perfume our heart with their beings, they understood that we live in a world where light and shadows mingle, where there's a struggle for beauty and goodness that goes on inside every single one of us. And for them, the path of spiritual illumination, the pursuit of this love radical, was the quest after God's own heart. It was a religious quest, even as it transformed how we saw ourselves, how we see our fellow human beings and the natural cosmos.
So the writing of all of these mystics make great references to the Quran, the holy scripture for our Muslim friends, to the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, and at times the sayings of the previous prophets, Christ and Moses and Abraham and David. And all of these would be mingling with their own insights, with their own poetry, with their own spiritual commentary. And the Quran, which is, you know, something more or less along the length of the New Testament, has some verses which are more social and ritual in nature. Then it has a few verses, a number of verses, which are jewels. These are the gems of the Quran. And these are the verses that all of these love mystics come back to again and again and again. And in some of our programs, we're going to be taking a look at how these love mystics read and interpret these particular verses. These verses are at the heart of how they see their own relationship with God and with one another. So we're going to start with a verse. This is a very well-known verse of the Quran. It is oftentimes recited at a moment of death. When we hear the news of the passing of someone, Muslims might greet one another with one of these verses. They comfort one another. They assure one another. Um, The most typical comment for Muslims when we hear of the passing away of someone is to say, Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raja'oon. Indeed, We are of God. Indeed, we are gods. We come from God. We belong to God. Inna lillah. We are belonging to God. Wa inna ilayhi raja'oon. And we are in every step, in every breath, in every moment, here and now, ilayhi raja'oon, returning towards the source, returning towards the one. Our journey is itself toward the one. That death is not an anomaly. Death is not an aberration. We come from the one and we are flowing back towards the one. That the divine is both our home and our origin and our home, and our destination. That this life is a journey from God to God. And so we seek to comfort one another by reminding ourselves that the soul of the one who has passed came from God, was here and now with God, and is returning back to God. Well, the mystics also say the same thing except that for them, this is not a saying to meditate on only at the moment of death, or only at the moment of hearing about the passing away of someone. 
It is a saying that is relevant and true at every single moment. Because indeed, in every breath, we can say, Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raja'un. In this moment, here and now. Here and now where I am, here and now where you are, we come from God, we are with God, and we are returning to God. So the first verse, series of verses, the first passage of the Quran that we're going to spend a little bit of time with is a beautiful, quite lovely verse of the Quran. It comes from a chapter that is called Fajr, which is dawn time. Um, historically, Muslims did not give chapter and verse numbers. <laughs> this is a very, if you would, Protestant and modern approach to the Quran. But uh, for those who care, this is chapter 89 and verses 27 to 30. Um, by the way, historically speaking, the Sufis, the mystics, would be expected to be so intimate with the Quran that it wasn't even necessary for a poet, a mystic, uh, a Rumi, a Hafiz to even give the whole verse. He might just drop the couple of words and he would expect you to know what the rest of it says and what the context is. These are people who swim with the Quran, who breathe the Quran. You could say that they have become walking revelations. Uh, this is indeed something that was said of the Prophet Muhammad, that his very nature had become the Quran. So the Quran, rather than being black ink on a white page, has become a song, a melody, a recitation that is taken into the heart and transformed that heart. When we talk about people who have memorized the whole Quran, we call them a Hafiz. In fact, the poet Hafiz, who perhaps alongside Rumi, is the most famous of the Sufi poets. Right? Hafiz was not his given name. Hafiz is not what his mother called him. His name was Muhammad. But he has the honorific, the pen name, Hafiz. And Hafiz means the one who keeps safe, the one who vouchsafes, the one who protects. And you see how they are interpreting this. These are the people who have taken the Quran into their heart. They're protecting the Quran in their heart. And in turn, they are protected by the revelation. There's a relationship that is established. So, we're going to take a look at these verses from the chapter called the chapter of dawn. And I'll read this very short passage. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim In the name of the One, in the name of God, who is eternally compassionate, infinitely merciful. Ya ayyuhan nafs al-mutma'inna, irja'i ila rabbika radiyatan mardiyatan. Fadkhuli fi abadi 
wadkhuli jannati so the translation says ya ayyuhan nafsul mutma'inna o soul at peace o tranquil soul o peaceful soul irja'i ila rabbika return return to your cherishing lord come back to the one come back to the lord who nourishes you and sustains you and guides you radiyatan mardiyatan you are pleased with god god is pleased with you going to give you the translation and then we'll come back and talk about how the sufis interpret this fatkhuli fi abadi enter in my servants enter in my devotees wadkhuli jannati and enter my garden so let's go back to the beginning ya ayyuhan nafs almutma'inna soul at peace. O soul at peace. So the Sufis, maybe in a way that is not so drastically different than some notions of modern psychology, say that the self is not something solid. You don't just have one self, you have multiple selves. The self really represents faculties, tendencies that flow inside of you but the you that is addressed by god the you that is welcomed by god is the part of yourself part of your soul part of your nafs that's called nafs almutmainna the tranquil self the peaceful self the serene self through the centuries different sufis had different notions of what we could call sacred psychology but the most common early system that sufis like muhasibi developed talked about how our soul has three tendencies this is perhaps you could compare it to a notion of the id and the ego and the superego with the difference that for someone like freud you're dealing with the conscious and the subconscious and it all has to do with your sexual desires and your unresolved sexual desires and for someone like jung perhaps it has to do with archetypal notions of the self and the subconscious and the unconscious whereas for the sufis the direction is upward we have the self that we usually think of ourselves but then as we rise above that as we transcend that as we are pulled back towards our divine origin we become fully who we have been all along so they talk about how the first layer of the self the first layer of the soul and the word that they use is this word nafs nafs which is self and soul the first level of the self is what they call 
Nafsul Ammara, which is the commanding self. This is the bossy self. This is the egocentric self. This is the self in you, in me, in us, whose favorite being in the whole world is me. It's all about me. I am the Lord on high. I am the one that you have to serve. And this me is the one that compels you. Feed me. Give me something to drink. Look at me. Praise me. Satisfy me. It is this commanding self that might have had enough to eat, but it wants that second plate. You might have had your first slice of pizza, but it wants a whole pie. You might have someone at home who is a beautiful partner, but you will still want to look at someone else who is beautiful walking down the street. Because to this self, this is the craving self. This is the self that only knows salt water. The more it has, the thirstier it gets. It is never enough, never enough, never enough. And this self compels you, forces you. This is a little bit like the way that some toddlers play in a sandbox. If I saw it, it's mine. If I thought about it, it's mine. If I looked at it, it's mine. If I was going to play with it, it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. This is the commanding self. Then there's a second level of the self. And this is a corrective. This is the self that counters that commanding self. This is called nafsalavwama. Nafsalavwama, which is the blaming self. No, no, no. No, no, no. You cannot have the whole pizza. You've had enough. No, no, no. Don't look at that beautiful person walking down the street. Be faithful to the one that you have. The blaming self. And you almost can see the blaming self with a finger, the pointed finger sticking out, wagging itself at you. No, no, no. Right? This is the shaming self. The blaming self. And it's easy enough to see this shaming self when you're doing it to somebody else. Right? It's so easy to become judgmental of other people. How often and how easy it is to see the shortcomings in our fellow human beings and how rare it is to see that oftentimes what bothers us the most about other people are our own tendencies. And so much of our life is this tension between the blaming self and the commanding self. Mine! No, you can't have that. I want it. You've had enough. And these two tendencies inside us go at each other, and it is hard to find the way to God, who is peace, who is the source of peace, when we are at war inside our own heart. And the Sufis say that once you have gone through this journey, once you have tamed yourself a little bit, once you eat, not 
to become gluttonous, but simply to the point of sufficiency. Right? Imam Ali, one of the greatest of the mystics, was known for having the healthiest of eating habits. And people ask him, what's your secret? And he said, I eat to the point where I'm no longer hungry. Then I stop. It's not that I eat until I'm full. I eat to the point that I'm no longer hungry. Then I stop. And so after this internal battle between the commanding self and the blaming self have carried on, and we have enough. We have enough. Our basic needs are met. We are not exceeding the bounds. We're not taking too little and we're not taking too much. We have enough. This is good. We have enough. Then we can reach a state of peace, a state of tranquility, a state of harmony. And it is this third tendency inside our heart, which is called Nafsul Mutma'inna, the soul at peace, the tranquil soul, the peaceful soul. And it's worth pointing out that in this verse of the scripture, as long as we are at the state of mine, we are not welcomed back by God. And as long as we have the finger sticking out, wagging it at somebody else or at our own self, no, 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 we are not welcomed back into God. We are received by God when we arrive at the state of being a tranquil self, a peaceful self, a settled self. Ya ayyuhan nafsal mutmainna, O soul at peace. Erja'i, ila rabbika, come back, return to your Lord, return to the one who cherishes you and sustains you. And it's this theme of return, coming back. I want to go home to the one who is my home. I want to go back to God who is my home and my destination and my path. And we see this in a state of prayer and meditation. Sometimes when we have not yet reached the state of the tranquil self, you hear people who become quite frustrated with practices of prayer and practices of meditation when they say, you know, I try praying and I try meditating and my mind just wanders. I start thinking of my grocery list. I start thinking of all the emails I have to answer. I start thinking about all the things that I have to do. And next thing I know, my meditation is gone. My prayer is gone. Come back to your Lord. Come back. There is a grace in coming back. There is a grace in returning home. There is a loveliness to having our consciousness, our mind, our heart return back to the one. So if your mind wanders, it's all right. 
In time it will learn. But for now, welcome it back like a guest. Hello, my consciousness. Hello, my mind. Hello, my thoughts. It's so nice to have you come back to being who we want to be. Erjai ila rabbika. Come back to your Lord. Radiatan mardiatan. You are pleased with God. God is pleased with you. Right? And here you see that the very same notion of contentness, contentness, is described as the state of God and the state of the devotee. The relationship now is a mirroring relationship. We are with God and God is with us. We are pleased with God. I'm so delighted to have you as my Lord. And you are so pleased with me, for me to be your devotee. Right. This mirroring relationship happens when you're close to someone. You can't see your face in the mirror when you're a hundred miles away. You have to be standing in front of the mirror. And because we have returned, because we have returned to the truest part of ourself, and we have returned to God, we have now become the serene soul, the tranquil soul. Fatkhuli fi abadi. Enter in, my servants. Enter in, my devotees. And this is the verse that the mystics take so much pleasure in. And you see here how the very simple rules of the Arabic language of the Qur'an open up these vastly different ways of dwelling inside these verses. The most literal verse, the most literal way of reading this verse is something quite simple. It's God saying to the devotees, Fatkhuli fi abadi. So, O oh my devotees, O oh my servants, Fatkhulifi, come on in. Come on in, y'all. Come inside. Vatkhuli jannati, and enter my garden. Enter heaven. Come on in. That's a perfectly plausible meaning. That when we have become the peaceful self, God says to the servants, come on in. But that's not the only meaning. So what does it mean to be a mystic? We keep using this word mystic, mystical, mysticism. Well, the word mystic has to do with mystery. There's a mystery to being human. There's more to you and I, my friend, than meets the eye. And this mystery we cannot see with the eyes of the head. We have to experience with the eyes of the heart. So whether it is Rumi or Ibn Arabi or Ahmad Ghazali or so many of these other mystics, they arrive at these inner mysteries of what it means to be human, not by going around the verses of Scripture, but by crossing over 
to the ocean of meaning that's inside. In this case, the verse literally says, Fatkhuli fi ibadi. Enter in my devotees. Enter in my devotees. And of course, Arabic doesn't have any commas. It doesn't have any punctuation marks at the time of the Quran. Enter in my devotees. Where are you going to pause? Are you going to read it as, as we did the first time around, enter in, dramatic pause, my devotees, oh my devotees, enter in, or are we going to read it as, fatkhuli fi ibadi, enter in, my servants, enter into my servants, and you have entered my garden. That is how Rumi reads it. That is how the students of the Path of Radical Love read it. That if you wish to enter God's garden, if you want to enter heaven, you have to enter into God's servants. You have to enter inside the servants of God, because there is a mystery to them and to us and to you and to me. There is more to you than meets the eye. And it is when we are taken inside the heart of someone who is tranquil and peaceful and standing before the divine, it is when we enter inside the heart of someone like this, that we experience heaven. That meaning, that second meaning, is a perfectly plausible, acceptable way of reading this verse. We have to enter into, inside our own heart. We have to enter inside the hearts of the devotees of God. If we wish to enter the garden. And how lovely would it be then to realize that the garden is not simply a zip code. The garden is not some place out there. The garden is a state of being with the divine. And it is available to us here and now. That when we are taken inside each other's hearts in a state of being peaceful and tranquil that we could here and now experience that heavenly state. That the heavenly state is the state of being peaceful, being tranquil. How do we experience the state of tranquility? Sometimes they remind us that each one of us has an ocean inside. There are the waters of life inside you and inside me. The deeper the water, the more tranquil and peaceful it is. 
a deep part of the ocean may not even contain any waves. When do we get waves? When the ocean comes near the shore. It's when it's shallow. It's when it is coming close to the banks. When it gets to the break line. That's when we get the tumult. That's when we get the surf. That's when we get the wave. Because the water is shallow. You could even stand in the ocean. Maybe the water comes up to your ankles. Maybe the water comes up to your knees or to your waist. Yes, you're in the ocean. But it's a tumultuous ocean. It is the wavy part of the ocean. And so many of us have experienced this state inside our own heart. We are filled with these waves of thoughts and emotions that come one after another, crashing onto you, knocking you down. So many people experience their own emotions, their own thoughts, their own guests, almost as if we are not in charge. Anger comes and knocks you down. Lust comes and knocks you down. Joy comes and knocks you down. We almost experience these thoughts and these emotions as things that are happening to us. We're just a helpless little victim standing there. And anger came and knocked you down. These mystics remind you that there's more to you than meets the eye. Go deeper. Go deeper into this ocean. You are the ocean. You are the waves. You can stand in that part of the ocean where there's a depth in you. And in that depth there will be no waves. There is joy. There is serenity. There's pleasure. You pleased with God. God pleased with you. Maybe in that part where we're standing on the shore and the water comes up to our ankles and the water comes up to our knees and the water comes up to our thighs, we're still breathing air. We're in the ocean, but we want to be land creatures. Let go of being a land creature. You are a being of the ocean. Scientists tell us this bodies are 70% water. You are water. You are the ocean. Go into the ocean. You are a fish in an ocean of light. You're meant to be in the ocean. To live the mystical life is to discover 
all of a sudden that you can breathe in the ocean, that you can swim in the ocean, you can be one with the ocean, and there's a part of the ocean that's tranquil, that is peaceful. And at that state, the waves are not washing over you anymore. Anger is not knocking you down anymore. Lust is not knocking you down anymore. The ocean moves you gently here and there. You are one with the ocean. You are serene in the ocean. You are peaceful as part of the ocean. When you arrive at that state, oh, tranquil soul, welcome back to your Lord. You, pleased with God, God pleased with you. You have entered into that state which is even beyond happiness. We are not promised happiness in this existence. Yes, there is joy, there's real joy, but there's also suffering. There's the death of our loved ones. There's life of our loved ones. There's separation and there's union. There may not be constant happiness, but there can be tranquility. There can be serenity. There can be real contentment. And it is the contentment of knowing that you are finally who you've been meant to be all along. That here and now, You are with God, and you are home. And what a sweet pleasure there is in that presence. Let us stop at this point. You've been listening to the Sufi Heart Podcast. It's my pleasure and an honor to be with you as part of this journey. My name is Omid Safi. And we are following the teachings of the path of radical love. And in every show, we're going to pick one or two verses, one or two poems, and open them up and dwell inside of them. I thank you for being a part of this journey. Uh, there are other shows that you can go back and listen to. And most of all, I thank you for the heart and the presence and the attentiveness that you bring into this time. This is what sanctifies our journey together. And I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this journey and these breaths. Be well. Süleyman kuş bir gün bir ödeydi neyin
Söyleyeyim ben, 